0: There was no evidence that Governor, that that, uh, Mr. Noriega was involved in drugs, no hard evidence, until we indicted him. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably, but uh, it was for the good of the system. Oh, so we don't mess around other people's elections, well, well, mean, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: All right, welcome back to another episode of the Rackets Podcast. I'm your host Brian Sadie, and I have the distinct privilege to have a, a very interesting guest on the show. His name's Rayford Davis. Um, he served six years as a police officer in North Charleston, South Carolina. And then he uh, took a very different direction with his life. He's now a, a very prominent activist in the freedom movement. Uh, welcome to the show.
0: Uh, thank you for having me on.
1: Uh, no, no, thank you for coming. Yeah, if you don't mind, um, obviously you, you've, your career and your, your life took a, a, a very different turn there. And I was just kind of hoping that you could maybe give a little introduction to the audience. You know, tell them a little bit about yourself and your background.
0: Yeah, so uh, like you said I was a former police officer in the city of North Charleston I spent uh, 6 years there uh, 4 years on patrol uh, 2 years as a spectral, special victims unit uh, detective um, I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice um, I joined law enforcement I, get, I grew up you know kind of consider myself a compassionate conservative and I joined law enforcement like most police officers do I, with with good intentions to help I'm serve my community and protect the vulnerable, uh, you know, even sacrifice myself if necessary to, to, uh, to keep uh, the community safe. Um, and I did that. Uh, I, my law enforcement career was cut short. I was hit by a truck when I was directing traffic and broke yes. my leg. And that ended, uh, my law enforcement, uh, career. But, you know, I made hundreds of arrests, uh, a lot of it, uh, dr- drug related, um, and, you know, in North Charleston, we had a 300 man police force city of about 80,000, uh, and, and I worked, you know, mainly kind of the poor and minority communities. And, you know, our mission, uh, was get guns and drugs off the streets. Let's get tough and fight this crime. Uh, you know, we're going to get out there and we're going to stop it. And of course, um, you know, this is the big ramp up from, uh, you know, law enforcement in the '80s with the war on drugs and everything, and here I was coming in 2000. So we've been doing it for 20 years, and I was going to get out there and, and and patrol those same streets that law enforcement had failed to for so many years, and I was going to make a difference. And you know, I saw quickly we worked very hard. We, there is real crime, real you know, real murders, thefts, assault assaults uh, that that we dealt with. But I, but I saw that oh you know. What we were doing wasn't working, and no matter how many people we arrested or how tough we got, um, we could only really kind of push it around a little bit. And and also saw that that it, and when we interacted with the community and that getting tough and getting proactive, you know, we would do things like. Uh, People that wouldn't use their turn signal long enough, we would pull them over and try to build that into a a drug search and a stop. Or even somebody riding a bicycle, you know, and they're you know without a light on it, pull them over and try to build that into a stop. You know, grab people, pat them down, uh, search their cars, drag them out of their cars. Uh, you know, generally kind of harass them and 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 to send a message. You know, even if we didn't make an arrest. Right. And I saw just how counterproductive that was and that we really looked like a violent gang. Mm-hmm. And and you see that just with the numbers. And I saw that just morally it wasn't – it just didn't quite feel right, uh, particularly with the drug war. Even when we arrested somebody and found a real criminal, he's got drugs on him. Um, is that really a crime? Should that be? Mm-hmm. And… and it's, we kind of really learned that with with alcohol prohibition. It's the prohibition that creates all the violence. It's what fosters that, not necessarily the substance themselves, even though they they can be harmful. Mm-hmm. And so it was us that kind of created it. And the harder we fought, the more violent things would get. absolutely and and um I you know. I saw that, and know. People have asked asked me, uh, was there one moment or anything that, that really kind of turned you around? Uh, and it wasn't. It was it was small moments. Uh, you know, we pulled over a kid on a moped one day, um, you know, for like a rolling stop at a stop sign, and you know, there's eight of us cops. We're all standing around him. Hey, you, you mind if we search your vehicle, you know, and right. some busted up with a moped, <laughs> we're patting down, going through his handlebars and everything. Right. You know, we found nothing and right. send him on his way. And I mean, we look like the violent gang. We earned that kid's enmity from that day forward. I mean, he, he's going to remember that forever. Mm-hmm. And we would pull people over, um, And you do that on a regular basis, consistently, and the community is not going to like you. Absolutely. And and even with the when we would arrest people for drugs, um, you would say, you know what, they're whatever you think about them, it's an adult consensual activity, use and trade, and it's not violent. It's the prohibition that creates that violence. And so, but now me as a cop. What was I doing? Now, everything I did was legally justifiable, but, but I really began to question the moral justification of enforcing those, li- uh, those laws. Um, me as a citizen, would I have a right to just go into some stranger's home, kick in their door, shove a gun in their face, pull them, out, pull them out of their home, take their belongings? Oh, you've got weed. We're taking that. And you've got cash. We're taking that. And oh, yeah, we're taking your car. And everything else, and we're gonna lock you in a cage, and if you resist, we're gonna shoot you and kill you. All right. Would All right. that be right as a citizen? No. Of course no. not. You know? Of course not. But if mean, as a cop I could do that. And how, how did that work? And 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 the answer is it doesn't. Right. That your badge you can't shield you from those fundamental moral principles, particularly when you're when it's coming to use uh, use of force and so while it was legal and constitutional what we were doing um you know it was morally wrong and i didn't and i didn't feel right doing it and um i went i knew that deep down and and so i went into um when i got the opportunity to detect division to um like child abuse child sexual assault you know go where the real crimes are okay right and and first of all I noticed well there were two, at the time we had two detectives including me which was a you know basically you know a know nothing rookie and that's that's the manpower that that uh that was assigned to child abuse and child sexual assault in our department yet we had what 14 uh, narcotics detectives right and and we had cases coming over the transom in 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 in, our, de, in our, our department, and the manpower, those cases did not. These are real victims. Those cases did not get the investigation they deserved. Uh, we where you had real victims that that were not treated fairly, and then you had unjustified cases or allegations of sexual assault where the investigations were so shoddy we'd basically just charge them and move them move it on and so we were in we were most likely you know arresting innocent people
1: mm.
0: because we didn't do due diligence um and that was really kind of the last thing that got me uh, as a, as a police officer and and kind of morally was was a particular case where there was allegations of you know of an assault um but that's really it was I, I had a conversation with my sergeant when we were deciding to whether charge this man or not uh you know for for a sexual assault and, I, and I'm sitting there and I'm saying look um if I was on the jury there's no way I would convict this man hmm. based on what we have and you know my orders were charging anyway hmm. and let the court settle it. and i that I couldn't do it I, I I did it I did it i charged him right. I charged him and I sent it on but that was that was the last thing. So I see I saw as a as a police officer, even when we had real crimes, um, we did a horrible job, and that I personally was responsible for that injustice. You know, I was the one to put the handcuffs on that man and lock him in a cage, and that wasn't right. I, and I and that's when I I had been injured and and I so I just kind of gave up. Uh, trying to stay in. I had to get out just for physical reasons, Uh, but that's really what kind of made me give it up and get out completely.
1: Wow. That's a lot to digest there. (laughs) Um, Well, um, I mean, for one thing, and I do have to ask, I mean, do you think that there's a reason why police work was so geared towards the consensual crimes, towards drug war, as opposed to, you know, something that obviously, like like you say, like the, the sexual assaults where there's That's the, that's the type of crime that is universally condemned. So do you, do you think that there's, do you, do you know what factors in your opinion cause the police force to put so much more resources and so much more effort into, into pursuing those cases?
0: Well, just, just so everyone knows, this is not just my personal experience, um, you just get an idea of really how particularly uh, drug enforcement and how it has distorted policing and what we've been, what we've done to, to damage you know our communities over decades is first of all the united states has the w- world's largest incarcerator we incarcerate a higher percentage of our population than any other country in the world. now this is this is a shining city on the hill, the freest country. this is America, man USA. no, we have the highest incarceration rate by a mile mm-hmm. by a mile um, and a lot of that is due to the drug war that we've done for you know forty seven years uh, so we incarcerate that. Uh, I think it's 2.3 million people. We have a total of about seven million people under some type of correctional control. Make between 10 and 14 million arrests every year. Um, we would have to reduce our prison population by 80 percent. We would have to let 80 percent out just to equal what uh, Western Europe and Canada incarcerates. Yeah. So uh, yeah. now our our um, Clearance rates. So you have murders and sexual assaults and rates of the uh, law enforcement, a clearance rate. And then that's not a that and even that's a bad a kind of a misleading number. Uh, murder rates. Clearance is 60 percent. So it means 40 percent of murders go totally unsolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, rapes and aggravated assault about 37 percent. So, you know, you're looking at about 63 percent go unsolved. Um uncleared and when you have uh, property crimes and it's like 14 19 percent right yes yeah. that's so when you say well um, that's what law enforcement does now that's what they do now and, right. and so uh, why do they focus on the drug crimes well as me as a police officer that's what it was kind of a broken windows approach well you see the drugs uh, and is what's it's what's causing the violence. Exactly. And so that's that's why we have to stop. That's why we, if you stop the drugs and you, you get the drugs and the guns off the streets, you'll stop the violence. Right. right. And 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 so we did that. And now you you got to look from the you know the '60s and even earlier and you know in the early 1900s uh, when they started you know uh, the Harrison Narcotics Act and all that. Those were racially motivated laws to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so uh, segregation ended. But they still wanted to use police forces to control minority communities. Mm-hmm. So they came up with the drug war and they said, oh, we're going to make these drugs illegal, you know, like the marijuana that the, that the dirty Mexicans uses or the or the heroin and the cocaine that that. It uh, makes uh, Negroes uncontrollable. Uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> evil and just,
1: and just to interrupt you, just so the audience knows you're using exact phrases that were part of the propaganda at the time. Like this wasn't right. even subtle; it wasn't even implied. These were. This was directly stated as authoritative news.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, and Harry Harry Anslinger, who started. Um, he was kind of the first leader of the, of the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, I and mean, he—that's that's kind of his terminology—and um, and so we use that. So now, drug drug laws apply to everyone, but we would enforce it in particular communities, right. especially minority communities, right. and, and so that's how it perpetuates. Now, police officers—they are, are they racist or they—they you know no. They're not, but yet we enforce those same laws that were historically and intentionally targeting minority communities to oppress them, to destabilize them. And so we've enforced those laws in that manner, increasingly more aggressively for the past 47 years. And now we're surprised at the results that these communities are destabilized, are unstable and have more crime. We created it and. And so, but, but we we said, well, we just got to get tough. You just can't, you can't let up. And, and so that's part of why the police officers, uh, continue to go on. There, there's that real crime, but they don't understand and they don't allow themselves to admit it. They know this. Every cop does. Right. But you can't admit it because you, if to do so would be to admit, hey, you know, what we did was counterproductive. Right. What we did was oppress communities. Right. Uh, that's different. And you get paid to do it.
1: Right. When, <laughs> when, when your paycheck – uh, I wish I could remember the quote. I, uh, I I'm I'm it's,
0: up in, it's, it's up Sinclair. You got it. Look at you.
1: you when,
0: when your salary depends when, uh, on you not –
1: I, I remember then, the way you're, I, I, anyway, I, can't, a, I can't
0: place it either. It's difficult for a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding. It. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. Oh, um, it's perfect.
1: It's, it, it doesn't just apply to police work. It, it, pretty much every sector, government, private sector, you name it. Um, it, it. Again, it all comes down to if there's that financial conflict of interest, it, it tends to uh, make people behave in certain ways. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so,
0: you know, our department, we got lots of federal grant money uh, mm-hmm. to um, to have these particular teams, weed and seed, or, you know, our, um, you know, street level, you know, what you call like the jump out or crash teams or whatever, to go out there and really work those neighborhoods hard. Right. And we get them from like housing and urban development or the DOJ. Uh, not necessary, and and you know, not necessarily the, uh, not necessarily like just straight from the DEA, right? To to police these communities, and and so the federal government was paying us. They're paying to put officers on the streets to go get out there and hit and and target drug enforcement and other quality of life issues. And what we were doing was oppressing those communities, um, which is basically what police were designed to do you know from sir robert peel in the 1800s yeah i
1: mean one of the things that when, when you speak about that 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 always kind of that i always think of is um because if we're really serious about getting the drugs um go to a college campus if you want to find drugs uh but yeah again there, there's nowhere near the same level of enforcement um and you like you said you just mentioned uh, doj um um, HUD, you know, the Department of Education isn't given federal grants to have police um, go in there and start busting college kids. Again, it's just a just a really a real dichotomy there. While you were talking, it kind of reminded me of uh, it's a quote that, like, again, several people have said over time, and it's usually when they're referring to murder convictions that it's better to let you know ten. 10 guilty go free versus imprisoning one. But I sort of think of it along the the lines of civil liberties. Like when you were given the example with the kid on the moped, like, yes, you did end up busting a lot of drug dealers, but how many innocent people did you have to shake down and violate, you know, their constitutional rights in the process? Um, Correct.
0: And, And see, I would even say that even the quote unquote guilty ones that were in possession of drugs that, that, they're not, we yeah. had no, right. we had no business um, uh, arresting them or seizing their their belongings. Uh, we had no business doing that anyway. If you look at, you know, really the Constitution, how how did alcohol prohibition require a constitutional amendment? Yet drug enforcement did not.
1: Right, right. No, at the yeah. time, um, there was actually, there were a few people on Capitol Hill who, who did make that constitutional argument. But again, what you're, what you're pointing out earlier, a lot of it had to do with that sort of racist and, and bigoted um, type of uh, propaganda that, that really got Congress to push that motion as far as the, the first drug laws. It, it was one of, you know, several factors, but that was definitely one of the real motivating factors,
0: um, right and and, and, that, and that's why I you know speak out so much now and why uh, why I'm so hard on cops is because they cause so much harm, and they they very rarely really reflect on on how they participate in this system. And again, it's difficult for them to understand. I did I knew something wasn't right when I was in there, and most cops do. They know, hey, you know, this isn't working, or you know, this is kind of, you know, they're frustrated, but they can't put their finger on it, Uh, and they're kind of like mentally blinded. And it really, it wasn't until I got out, and it wasn't, it was until a few years after I had been out, and really took the time to reflect on it, that I was able to kind of like mentally allow myself to say, yeah, it was, it was us. Right. Contributing to this, in in the inner, you know, in direct ways, and in in some more uh, indirect manners that perpetuated um, this, you know, a kind of oppressive, oppressive, and uh, destructive um, uh, systems that we have, right. and that me as a police officer, I was personally responsible for.
1: Yeah. Well, that actually, uh, reminds me, I actually have a couple quotes from an article that you wrote. Um, it was called the title, and I'll, I'll have it linked in the show notes was, uh, disposable veterans and moral, moral injury. And you, you, you talk about that kind of compartmentalization that you're referring to, you know, where you're, you're, you're told, well, I'm just following, I'm just following orders. And that's what, again, this applies not just to, to police or military. It's pretty much, you know, everyone, but more so obviously with the, police and the military but one of the things i mean you make it very simple you say when you commit an unjust act you are an unjust person i mean and and there's there's a lot of just really eye-opening stuff maybe you could just kind of elaborate a little further for the for the audience who hasn't read that article
0: right so you know i know cops always say well if you don't like it change the law if you don't like it um you know vote vote for a different politician don't blame me but see here's the thing every individual in human being has you have free will and you you have the ability to judge right from wrong mm-hmm. and it's that individual officer i'm the i'm the guy that put handcuffs on people i'm the one a, a law or even an order is just it's just a piece of paper. It's ink and paper. That's all it is. Uh, it's me that brought the resultant harm into physical manifestation. It's me that denied people their liberty. Uh, it's me that that violated their fundamental moral rights uh, by putting those handcuffs on, by dragging them out of their car, or their home. I'm the one that put them behind the bars and locked the door. And and so it was my actions that did that, and so, you know, I I bear that that kind of moral responsibility for that. A higher burden. Now the politicians and stuff they they share they share their part too, but it was me that created the harm of that law, mm-hmm. and and brought it into existence and actually inflicted that harm on another person. So yes, that individual officer has that moral culpability. For him to deny that is for him to deny his own free will. And you can deny it all you want, but you have the, that moral culpability for that. When when you harm another person unjustly, um, even, it, even if it's legal – I mean in the Constitution, legalized slavery. It legalized Japanese internment. It legalized – forced sterilization, it's it's uh, legalized. You know, massive amounts of atrocities. Uh, you know, you see the uh, the Indian uh, Native American uh, Holocaust. Yeah. Uh, all of that was legal.
1: Absolutely, and that not only legal and, and that was, that was it, culturally it was, accepted
0: at the time. Well, it was. However, it was moral and unjust Absolutely. at that time. Absolutely, and, and and so the same, the same continues today. And let me ask you, right, this, you know, people as, a, oh, as a police officer. So again, we have the world's largest prison population in, you know, in like in history of mankind and the United States, whatever greatness you think it is, has historically always been perpetrating mass injustice and law enforcement and, and military members, government agents have been the ones to perpetrate that so do you really think at this time in the in the world that everything you do is moral and just well, of course not of course not. No, and no, it, no. It's, it's hypocritical and and really for you to even consider that so ask yourself if you're a police officer exactly what what are we doing that it that, that is immoral but is legal at this time and well the big one is the drug war
1: right if I had to guess, that's probably what you would put at the top of your list, you know, I mean, there are, there are so many, you know, just counterproductive laws, because I, I know you, you're you a member of LEAP, uh, which was formerly Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, it's now, I think, uh, Law Enforcement Action Partnership, um, so I'm kind of guessing that of all of the sort of criminal uh, statutes that you had to enforce, it seems like the drug war is by far the, the worst in your eyes.
0: Well, certainly, you know, certainly for me, it is like a street level cop. Uh, it, that's, that was the big part of it, of how we really, uh, you know, destroyed people's liberty. And that was what was sold to us. Uh, and so that's what I saw. Now the government, cre- you know, obviously perpetuates a lot of abuses, and, and there's probably bigger ones, but just, just kind of like on a personal level, between police officers in the community. Uh, that, was, that was really the biggest excuse for a lot of the abuses. Uh, and of course, you know, the, um, you know, it's guns, uh, drugs and guns. Drugs and, guns. <laughs> you know, yeah, to, and one and of those, those categories are, are, those are
1: mostly legal, by the way.
0: <laughs> well, those are two things that you're, the mere possession of should never be criminalized. Hmm. Just the mere possession of it And that's the two things that we were going after the most and criminalizing people for that.
1: So, I mean, because a lot of times when you you pulled somebody over, again, a lot of times people are legal gun owners, you know, and that's, we're seeing, you know, we've seen it, you know, with, uh, was it Philando, Castillo? But we're, you know, there's so much of this kind of, we we see these instances of abuse uh, quite a bit. Um, And kind of, there was a recent uh, segment on Bill Maher um and I just kind of wanted to comment on that. Um he did he kind of repeated what a lot of people say, you know, most cops are good cops. But then he sort of kind of gives the counter. What I'm wondering is, do you think cuz we do see a lot of abuse and excessive force by police officers. Do you think that's a result of of bad people going into the institution, uh, is that a, is that a result of the culture of the institution, maybe a combination of factors? You know, you know, what's your experience with the, with
0: that kind of issue? Um, no, it's, you know, it's not like bad people going in, um, and, you know, let's talk, talk about like cop shootings and cops. It's very rare for cops to actually shoot and kill someone incredibly rare. Now, in the United States, U S law enforcement kills a lot more people than other countries do. Right. So there is a disparity in that, in, in that respect, but overall, it, you know, it's like .00002% of encounters where a cop ends up shooting someone. Right. So in some ways, it's, you know, that is kind of a red herring. Uh, I would say, you know, the, the bad cop, good cop, I, it's good cops enforcing legal laws that that create and are actually cause the most harm on our communities and so again we're arresting people for not you know a laws again the drug laws gun possession um that those type of things that shouldn't be a crime in the first place right. and all that's legal and even if i put my you know handcuffs on somebody real nice and uh it's still horribly unjust right and and so now the The abusive stuff, um, in a way, you talk about, like, training. We'll talk about training a little bit. Um, When police are trained, and a good one is, like, you hear cops yelling, stop resisting, stop resisting. Right. uh, You know, in some of these abuse videos. and
1: When in many cases, they're just not – so just sort of tightening up or not really trying to, f- right. they're not trying to cause harm to you. But if you just tackled me, I'm going to, you know, somewhat,
0: you're going to put up. your hands out. Yeah. You're going you to put your are, hands you're gonna out, out react of that
1: way. Right. Even yeah. if I'm not trying yeah, if to you harm get, you. If
0: you, get, if you get punched, you know, you're, 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 you're immediately going to try to like get away from that. Right. Um, you know, somebody tases you, uh, you know, with a drive stun. I mean, you, you can't not stop. Right. Uh around. Right. Those, you can't, you know, don't move. Right. I mean, that's, that's, cops know that. Right, and they know, and they know that. that, exactly. And, and so, but the training, the, the reason cops can kill someone, um, and they, and they, and they do more than, than most countries, and then somehow it's turned around where there's like a 99% justification rate. Yeah, I've seen that, right. And, and and the reason is the training is specifically designed to justify the unjustifiable. Yeah, that's so what I figured. So police departments get together, now a lot of them, they won't admit this, but that's what their protocol does is to say, hey, well, this, you know, an officer might act in this manner. <laughs> so we need to set up our training training. So we can go back and justify it and say, yeah, the guy flinched. And so, you know, we shot him. Right. He went to his waistband. So we shot him. Right. Philando Castillo right. or any any of these others. So, um, right. the Livonia, town of Florida, Derek Hruistown in Florida. Where these guys were totally unarmed. No guns. Cops shot them in their homes. And right. oh no, it's good because waistband, furtive movement. So all of that is they're intentionally trained that way. Now, what has happened, though, is now police officers, they've kind of bought that. And and so they actually believe, hey, this is – if anybody just kind of moves their hand a little bit, they could kill you right away. And so you better shoot them. And and so it actually it, – it, it becomes kind of this perverse – um, you know, it's kind of self-perpetuating cycle where now you do have officers that really do believe, hey, I got to shoot this guy right. in, in, in a situation where a normal civilian would look at this this video of an interaction and go, "You shot that guy seriously?" Right. You know, I mean, and so we we hold cops. I think of uh, you know, a convenience store clerk. I mean, convenience store clerks, they deal with some sketchy folks now.
1: And
0: and, I mean, if they, if convenience store, jittery convenience store clerk shot people under a lot of the circumstances that you see police officers shoot people, you'd be going, these folks are crazy.
1: Right. That that was exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about that. What if I murdered somebody in public? I said, well, he reached, we had, we had harsh words and he reached quickly for his, his pocket you know i i'm pretty sure i'm going to jail on manslaughter Uh, but when that's a police officer you know that that, that there's a whole different
0: set of rules and i think there's a whole whole different set of rules yeah and 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 that's that's intentionally so and see that doesn't do the police officers any favors no so you're getting them to unnecessarily fear and and you're making it more likely that they're going to kill now why do why am i i'm saying that the training is, is specifically designed to allow cops to kill people yet they still don't they still don't and it's because cops um are generally good guys and they don't want to kill people and so they try really hard not to but you have to countermand your training and your indoctrination to not shoot people, I think about my you know, just my time on patrol, and not that I was, you know, this, you know, this real, um, you know, active cop. I was just a more, you know, just normal cop, and I probably could have shot, I don't know, between six and ten people a year, uh, and and have been justified,
1: right, minimum to where the the paperwork and could get away, you could get away with it on paper. Um,
0: and it would have been not controversial. Be charged,
1: not been charged. But, um,
0: I could have shot you know plenty of people a year and that's just me one cop you know and you multiply that by the millions of cops that we have out on the street and you can see how bad it could actually be right um, but that's because i didn't want to but i had to counterman my training to right. do that right and and so that's what happens is is police officers you see them they they stress and they they actually fall back to their training right. <laughs> and that's when they kill people unjustly
1: Well, I remember, though, the last time we spoke, one of the things you were telling me about is, um, because, again, several times you had people resisting arrest. But when they did, maybe I'm remembering wrong, but you were saying that the vast majority of them, they weren't trying to overpower you and harm you. They were just trying to get away. Am I remembering that right or no?
0: Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, You know, and I just had like one or two that just really were like attacked me right kind of thing uh they're, they're they're all kind of trying to get away now, i'm not saying they're not dangerous right no no but i'm just saying that but,
1: but in other words um they're trying to get away but in other words y- it, it wasn't to where your life was necessarily in danger they were just the making the arrest was was what would what could be lost not your life uh, but now they like you're saying there were a couple times though yeah and,
0: yeah and or, and and um and so again, that goes back to like the drug war and all this gun enforcement and everything. It, it makes cops unsafe, and so people that worry, well, well, cops do a really tough job. And look at this, you know, and, and cops say, well, I almost got killed, you know, ten times this year. Right. And you look at all those interactions, and a lot of those are drug arrests, right, or warrants, or a warrant arrest that comes uh, that was based on some other BS charge
1: right
0: and so why are you so even if you know from a cop perspective and a cop safety perspective uh, when you over criminalize communities it makes it less safe for the cops too because they have all of these potentially dangerous interactions that are that are unnecessary
1: right right yeah if you could just minimize you know keep it keep it to the keep it to the crimes that we all that We universally
0: (laughs) were you you contact contact with
1: someone, and again, a good portion, a decent portion of that crime would be eliminated if you were to end the drug war. Um, I've seen different studies. Oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so you know, you ask police officers, and you know, and it varies from you know um, departments and everything. But you ask them what what is how much how many of your murders. Are drug related, mm-hmm. and you know there'll be like forty percent. So, <laughs> well, there you go. And, and you know that's drug prohibition related. I never responded to a drive-by shooting between two liquor distributors. Right, well, it never happened. <laughs> tequila, tequila is just as dangerous as crack cocaine. I mean, it really is. I'd, I'd say and, more so. <laughs> yeah, it could be by the
1: numbers, but yeah, I mean over well, the long yeah by time, the
0: numbers uh, by the numbers it is. Right. Um, but but we never had shootings between liquor distributors. Right. Um, you know the beer, man, the Coors man and the Budweiser man. They can, you know, here they are fierce competitors. Yet they can stack, um, you know, beer next to each other in the same convenience store and get along well.
1: Right. No, uh, no blood is shed. Taxes are paid.
0: Um, no blood is shed. Taxes are paid. Everybody knows exactly what they're getting in their product. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if if Coors decides to intentionally spike their, you know, their beer with fentanyl. Right. and kills people well then you would know exactly who did it and you can you know you can charge if you want to charge them with murder for intentionally doing that i'm I'm good with that Absolutely. Uh, but see now now you you um you can't right. and so uh, that's the difference and that's how the prohibition creates all that crime the cops are running around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to clean up
1: right absolutely absolutely and one one thing i, I i've wondered and again it's just my personal curiosity, because again, we do see there's a lot of this um, excessive force and police abuse. And in my opinion, some of it is predictable um, just because of the institution when, when police, they've got, you've got quotas and pressure to go make arrests. And you know, if you, if you go too far over the edge, there will really be no ramifications and you got to put up with all kinds of stress and threats. Some of that, in my opinion, is just predictable. But what, what I'm kind of wondering in your experience, and I'm pretty sure you probably witnessed, you know, some, some police abuse or excessive force. Was it really like a more inexperienced cop? Who's just kind of jittery who, you know, who doesn't really have his, he does not have his sea legs yet, or is it maybe, you know, people who've been on the force for quite a bit and have just kind of learned that they can get away with it. Um, you know, what would your experience be with that?
0: Well, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Really? You're, you're right, and but you you see which which cops, um, you know, in some ways it doesn't seem to matter uh, if, as far as a, uh, experience and everything. Um, cops just have a massive amount of interactions with people, right. uh, and so that increases the chances of a lot of issues. Again, cops are they're trained to fear. They're trained to escalate. You know, that, that whole, um, use of force continuum, that plus one is, you know, where you, you elevate it, to any type of response that you get, you elevate it. Cops are trained to fear. They're trained to ex, es, escalate it. They're trained with this whole, you know, thin blue line, you come home at night to not uh, value human life. And, and so that creates a lot of it. And then you also have police officers, they know how to manipulate, uh, situations. And there is incentive to actually create non-compliance with someone. And so a lot of this, you know, particularly street level enforcement and stuff is, you know, we would get out there and you actually kind of, you treat people, um, so they don't comply with you.
1: Right. They, they, and that, somebody that who's just a, looking for a problem,
0: basically. Right. So I want to create an arrestable situation mm-hmm. because that's what we do is we arrest people. Right. And so by doing that, I can, you know, getting people out, making people come out of their car and, and cops can tell anyone to get out of their car. But quite frankly, it makes it makes very often, now not all the time, but very often, that increases the danger. Right. You know, in some ways, the guy sitting in the car, he's a lot, you, you know, he's not going to attack you.
1: Right.
0: Because he's got to go through the door. Right. Oh, or, or, you know, so, um, but you do things like, you know, get out of the car, um, you know, put your hands up, don't move. Right. You know?
1: <laughs> I got you right. There the the conflict of that right if they move right then, then they you know right. either either way they're failing to, to comply with your orders
0: <laughs> failing to apply and how you talk to people sometimes you can you know you can kind of aggravate them <laughs> right and do that and um you know you start grabbing them uh and and they, flint, they they you know you you go and put your hand on them and they in, in, instinctively kind of reflex and oh there you go see he's resisting right there so now down to the pavement he goes uh, and, and those type of things but let you' uh, um... running up on people you pulling up and jumping out of that car really quick um, <laughs> that's a good tactic uh, you door my... popping or what they call it and that scares the crap out of folks of course and, and and so what do they do they do furtive movements or they turn around and run or all those things now I got them right. and uh, and so cops do a ton of that and and now you know, uh, a lot of them do it intentionally. Um, a lot of it is unintentional um, because it works, and so that's just—it's kind of, you talk about uh, people in uh, like the sales business, not cops or, or soldiers, but they kind of do unethical things to make the sale. Right. <laughs> and 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 a lot of them—they really don't. Sometimes don't even quite know what they're doing, but they kind of bamboozle people, you know, kind of fast talk. Those type of things, uh, and we do the same things as cops to make the sale. And for you know, for us, the sale is the arrest. Uh, well, and, and so it's unintentional. It's also intentional. Now, the most vicious and mal- malicious cops—that's—that's that's kind of frowned upon too. So you have because uh, people uh, really get upset with that.
1: And they also lose so, money. Those people sue uh, when that those happens. Those
0: people sue, and they cause problems for your for you know leadership and everything. And but keep so it to an you,
1: acceptable level of damage. So you
0: keep it you keep it to an acceptable <laughs> level, and what that is, and, and some cops you know do more than others, uh, and so that's why why aren't all cops just these vicious maniacs? Well, because you know we have to we have to. Uh, to at least show some some degree of um, of accountability so you don't have the most vicious psychopaths they kind of get weeded out uh, but you have that middle ground that's that's what you call you know the the uh the good cops the proactive cops right in a lot of ways those are the ones that are really causing the most harm out of the community. And some don't even realize what they're doing. And of course, we've been doing that in law enforcement, you know, really for, you know, for decades, decades. particularly. Mm-hmm. And so it is considered acceptable.
1: Right. right. Let me ask you, because you were mentioning the training, you were talking about you're trained to escalate the situation. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a guy who comes from a business background and every company you go with, at some point you're taught how to deal with a difficult customer to try to de-escalate the situation. I'm just kind of curious what the training is as far as escalating the situation um, that you're referring well, to.
0: Well, they, they don't tell you, you need to escalate. Well, they that. tell you, you, you must, you must control the, the suspect. So you do lots of kind of dehumanizing terms that, you know, the suspect or the subject and he, you know, find some type of law that he anything violated anything <laughs> right. jaywalking anything um disorderly because he just you walked you rolled up on him and he cursed you right so now it's disorderly conduct or whatever right. um and, and and so now you, he's a criminal and you're the good guy and you know you can't let that go away you can't let that roll Right. You got to, you, you got to do something about it.
1: Almost gang-like and, mentality, because that's how the gangs it is, are. You know, they they, 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 let they them had the wrong shirt on in our neighborhood. You know, mm-hmm, you, you mm-hmm. Know, the same kind of. And
0: so, so there you go. And then, and see a lot of things. Um, and when, and particularly like when you're using a gun, just by having that gun, and when a cop, they pull it out. So as soon as you pull your gun, it's threatening. <laughs> Well, it does, man. In their their, their eyes. And so that person freaks because, well, there's this crazy cop. Now, whether it's legitimate that you're arresting them because they just stole something or whatever, they freak out. And and so that makes them, you know, you point a gun at someone and tell them to calm down at the same time is kind of difficult, (laughs) especially when you're yelling, screaming. Right. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. Get on the ground. Do it now. We're all fucking kill you and stay calm and like 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 we've seen in cases so. uh the daniel shavers case right, uh, where people try and they they, they panic mm-hmm. and but but when you when you have the gun in your hand you've taken away every other less lethal option to deal with a subject so now your gun's out that's all you got you can't physically restrain someone with one hand and hold the gun uh, your gun is out and so now anytime that person puts their hands out just in a instinctive manner or anything like that well they're trying to go for your gun or at least that's what you're going to think and and there you are yeah and, let me and it's, it's a lot of things like that and again the same same way with the taser too let
1: me ask you this i mean because obviously it sure seems like there's a lot of pressure um to get these arrests i know that in order to get promoted obviously you have to get a lot of arrests are there sort of financial incentives um, what could you kind of describe some of the pressure is that or is that almost like a competitive thing within the force how would you um
0: well i mean what are you there for right what you, you're you're there to catch bad guys right i mean that's, you know that's what i'm there for so personally yes i want to arrest people because that's how i'm going to get bad guys right um I'm more now, wondering it, about it, it, from
1: like the from the from the, from the structural level, like
0: because I know
1: I know of I've read of certain police departments where they specifically had quotas. I mean, they didn't call it; they called it um, productivity uh, or something. I forget goals or something. Did you Did you have a quota when when you were working as a police officer? No,
0: I did not have a specific quota. And see, so, you, so if, if patrol division is different uh, than you have like a dedicated. Uh, you know specialized street unit or something so as a patrol i had to answer calls too and stuff and so i may be working a lot of wrecks all day long and obviously i can't right okay you know, make, i can't make a wreck <laughs> when i'm doing that you know um and and so you know as patrol it, it, we did not have in our department every department's different and they go through ups and downs uh you know we had times when we were real aggressive and then we would have um i don't know an incident where we would shoot someone controversially, and and then the word would go out a hey, layoff. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's gotta be cool, and so you see that, and even nationally, you see that go up and down, um, and, and and it would just go even within departments. So you know, patrol as me, uh, you know, we weren't that incentivized to make arrests because we had kind of other duties to do, but your street level enforcement guys, oh yeah, they're, Hey, go out, bang them, bang them, bang them, make those arrests. You know, how many, let's, let's see what we can do. Um, and, and then, um, and I think you had asked me about, uh, you talk about overtime and I see some departments, um, that, you know, that have overtime. And so I think, I think New York does that and some others, um,
1: Oh, there are several. I mean, this is something yeah. I, that I've so, studied quite a so bit. You, oh, go
0: ahead. W- let me tell you, we did not pay overtime like that at our department. You would you would get comp time back, but it was really, really kind of frowned upon to go to to do a lot of overtime.
1: So, so you worked for an actual police department that tried to keep it within a fiscal budget, is what it sounds. Like. Um. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't know about that but <laughs> uh no, it just... was, it was, yeah that it was frowned upon, and so we knew, hey, dude, don't make a rest at the end of your shift unless you have to and so because we want to go home right <laughs> and now uh I and so that was that was definitely incentive for us to not make a rest at the end of our shift
1: right and make the re- them early
0: right but 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 If you're working for a department that lets you do overtime like that, I guarantee you, I mean, cops that wanted to make money, that's what they would do is they would roll around at the end of their shift and they would go do some kind of trash arrest. So you could do all of that overtime to process that person and everything like that. And that would just be purely driven.
1: um, And when you're saying trash, you're talking about, like, like you said, like a disorderly or something, just look to create crime just to to bank it because for people who aren't aware right that time while you're filing the paperwork and then you got to show up to court you're getting paid overtime pay for, for all yeah. that time um and i mean there are some police departments uh where the average officer is earning over a hundred grand and it has a lot to do with that overtime pay um, And again I, I don't and it's something that i've said before that i don't think every police department's abusing it in fact. I don't know what extent is, but there are some egregious cases. Um, there's actually a pretty current example with the uh, Massachusetts State's police. Um, like over 30 officers have been arrested. Um, and they weren't even going through, jumping through that hoop. They were just, again, this is what they're alleged of doing. They haven't been convicted, but um, it looks like they were just not even showing up um, for overtime hours and saying that they were. Um, and actually, uh, I forget which which news outlet reported. They called them ghost tickets, where they were falsifying tickets that they wrote while they were on their regular duty to make it look like they were doing it after hours. Um, so yeah, there, there's literally over thirty different Massachusetts state uh, police officers facing charges for this stuff, and, and it added up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think it just gets back to what we're talking about. I mean, these are people who are supposed to be enforcing the law. <laughs> and, you know, and they're
0: violating the law. <laughs> at, at, yeah, at what cost to society? And what, so even when you do have real crime, again, what I talked about earlier about these atrocious, you know, uh, you know, theft rates, you know, 14% clearance rate, uh, this is what you're paying officers hundreds of thousands of dollars to do and that's just the cops you know that's not the legal you know the legal system and and the jails and the prisons and and what that a massive amount of cost to do what right and and police officers and everybody in law enforcement they they don't want to have that discussion they always uh, redirect and say well you know we have crime in our city, so people need to stop doing crime. Right. Or they'll say, hey, it's politicians, they have these stupid laws. It's not us. They always deflect and redirect. They never want to have that really honest discussion and really take the, but I, you know, like take the plank out of their own eye before they start talking about other people's specs. And that's what I try, I try to do as a, as a, as an advocate. to help to challenge men that really want to do well and help their community is to really challenge them to do that and just stop laying back and say, well, obviously I'm doing good because I'm a cop and I'm a good guy.
1: Right. Right. The actual accountability. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so we're getting, we're basically coming up on the hour and I know, I know your time's limited. I just one last question for you. Um, I know that you're, uh, like I say, you're part of the freedom movement. Um, is there something that you would suggest as far as, uh, as far as re- reforming police with, within the current confines, um, you know, not, not abolishing it. I'm talking about as of today, if you could, you know, wave your magic wand, like what is, what is like the one thing that you would that you would put all your energy into changing um, to, to reform police efforts right now?
0: Um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, well,
1: I know know you're for tearing down the system and I totally, I I totally get it. But today though, like what, what do you think that we could do to really make some, some changes that, that, um, that would really have a real effect?
0: Well, I think you should, uh, police officers today in this, you know, never arrest someone unless they have actually physically harmed another person just that's the only people you arrest now if you want to write tickets or citations or something you know that you know whatever but you you stop criminalizing and arresting people that don't don't have a victim right
1: that's actually that that is actually somewhat realistic too right i mean um there's we're seeing a movement as far as prosecutors to where they're trying to eliminate, you know, the the penalties for what I like to call um, consensual crimes. Um, And just getting back to the real police work. We're we're seeing that movement as far as prosecutors are concerned. Um, We're not really seeing that within the police movement. You know, there are some people, you know, retired police officers like yourself who are, you know, making these kinds of statements. Um, But, yeah, like I said, I'm up against the hour here. Um, Is there anything for the audience um, that you'd like to... Tell them, you know, as far as following you or following your work, um, any way to get in touch or, or whatever.
0: Yeah, well, uh, the best way is probably on Twitter at Rayford D. Um, and uh, I've written a few articles. Uh, some of them are posted at uh, Libertarian Institute. I'm also uh, a member of LEAP. Uh, yeah, it used to be uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition and now uh, a Law Enforcement Action Partnership, Police for Reform. And so we've got a you know, thousands of other police officers like me uh you know not just the drug war but you know other very counterproductive uses of law enforcement that we have today that that cause injustice in our communities uh uh so so check them out as well and um anyone who has a podcast or anything like that I love to speak out I'm not much of a writer uh I, that but, uh, I disagree
1: with you on firmly. <laughs> I'm linking, I'm link. and that, I said that to you before, I knew you were sandbagging. I'm linking to that one article, um, any other one, I'm going to link to those as well in the show notes, and we will prove you wrong on that one.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, disposable veterans and moral injury, uh, and to talk a little bit about that about uh, that moral culpability that everyone has. And then, uh, there's another one of their libertarian Institute, uh, murder and service of the drug War." Okay.
1: I, I want to check that out. Absolutely. Um, well, Hey man, I, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I wish we had a little more time. Maybe we can schedule something in the future. Uh, but yeah, I just want to thank you for, for being a guest on the show. And as far as the audience, um, again, thank you for listening. Um, if you could share it with your friends, uh, give it a five star rating and if you do want to support the podcast, go out there and grab a copy of my uh, three-book series, Rackets. It's about the legalization of drugs and gambling and the decriminalization of prostitution. Uh, so, again, thank you, Rayford. Um, um, any last words?
0: I just uh, thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, you've done some some good work, too. Uh, your articles on Daniel Shaver uh, and that shooting, uh, these people should check out as well.
1: Oh, man, I, I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you so much again, and um, I'll talk to you later, my man. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. I am concerned that the size of some of these institutions becomes so large that it does become difficult for us to um, to prosecute. You can have a license. The price is $250,000, plus a monthly payment of 5% of the gross of all four hotels, Mr. Corleone.